Hello and welcome to another Kangaroo English Daily Digest podcast. My name is Christian and today is Wednesday, the best day of the week. (laughs) But I know that for a lot of people, Wednesday is not the best day of the week because it's hump day. The middle of the working week. The weekend is really far away and you're feeling tired and run down. (laughs) And what you really need is a pick-me-up. Something to lift your mood. Something to motivate you and make you feel amazing on this Wednesday. And hopefully I can do that for you. Because I'm going to try and show you how speaking bad English can actually be a really good thing for you. Um, And I need to start by talking a little bit more about something that I talked about in the previous Daily Digest, and that is semantic primes. Now, semantic primes are these basic kind of human concepts that we all understand, like um, uh, uh, good and bad, big and small, live and die. And as far as we know, these, these universal concepts exist in, in, all, in all languages. Now, I showed as well in the previous Daily Digest how by using just 60 of these basic concepts, you can explain and describe and communicate about basically any subject, including really complicated um, words related specifically to Japanese culture and Japanese psychology. And so today I, wanna, I want to, to build on that a little bit more and I want to tell you about why it's a great idea to focus on, on some of these universal things. And the first reason is that they're really easy to learn. It seems like we have these concepts built into us. So I want to talk about a piece of research here. Um, by a researcher from the University of Washington and another one from the University of Amsterdam. And it's called Ease of Learning Explains Semantic Universals. And so basically what they did is they used a computer simulation, a neural network. It's basically a type of artificial intelligence. They used it to see whether these linguistic universals, whether they were easier to learn than other concepts that weren't universal. And so they tested, um, the first thing they tested was they tested to see if the neural network found it easy to learn quantifiers. And then they tested to see if it was easy for the neural network to learn color terms specifically the convexity universal, which is quite a, quite a complicated uh, 
piece of work, actually. But what they discovered, what they discovered was that, yes, their computer modeling showed that these semantic universals are easier to learn than other parts of language. And it's, it's a good moment to ask ourselves why. Well, because these things are universal and because they're so fundamental to human existence, we don't need to learn them explicitly. For example, nobody has to teach you to be hungry. You know what that means as soon as you're born. Nobody has to teach you to be afraid of heights. No one has to teach you to be cold. And so these semantic primes like live and die, good and bad, and big and small, they are just things that it seems that humans are born with. We're born knowing them. And because of that, because of that, they're, they're easy concepts to learn. And I've shown you how important they are in language learning. But I want to talk today about why bad language, bad quality English, um, you know, uh, a, a strong accent, uh, really basic understanding of grammar, a small vocabulary. I want to talk about why those are good things. And I want to start by talking about today's word of the day, which is hand. H-A-N-D. Now, you probably know the word hand as a noun, part of your body. But hand is also a different type of noun, which means a helper. So, for example, you can have a farm hand is a person who helps on a farm. You can have a deck hand who's a person who helps on a boat. And this is a metaphor because the hand, you know, does things and the hand is, is kind of helpful. But calling someone a farmhand or a deckhand, this is a type of metonymy. And if you Google metonymy, I made a class about metonymy. It's quite an interesting thing. But that's beside the point. The really interesting thing is that we don't know where the word hand came from which is pretty incredible considering that hand is such a such a common word we're not sure where where it came from not sure at all and the other usage of hand that i want to talk about is something called the hot hand so in the game of basketball every now and again a player will develop the hot hand and this is another metaphor. The hot hand is the player whose hand is on fire. They are always scoring. Three points, two points, slam dunk. Every shot they go for, they score. They have the hot hand. And for a long, long time, um, psychologists and uh, statisticians, they believed that the hot hand was basically a figment of people's imaginations, something that was uh, kind of uh, just a subconscious bias 
People thought that they had a hot hand, but when you really look at the numbers, well, they don't. But then in September 2019, uh, which was just, 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 just recently, uh, it was published this study. Is it a fallacy to believe in the hot hand in the NBA three-point contest? And these researchers, they looked at 29 years of basketball on television and they gathered all the data and they brought it all together and they discovered that the hot hand really is a thing. It is possible for the player to have the hot hand and whenever the player shoots, they always score. Now, why am I telling you this? Because this has nothing to do with with language, right? Well, I'm telling you because this is evidence, empirical evidence, that belief equals results. So the spectators and the players, they believe in the hot hand. And so they have the hot hand. They score more. And this is something that you can also apply to your language learning, especially at the beginning. You know, at the beginning, it's really difficult to enter into conversations and to put yourself out there to make mistakes. It's really difficult. But you do it once, you get success. You do it again, you get success. You focus on the basic concepts. You focus on ideas, function instead of form, you you start using your English again and again and again and again. And you build this belief inside you. I can do this. It's it's language, you know, English is, is something I can do in real life, not just in the classroom. And you begin to believe. And then that produces better results. You don't have a hot hand at basketball. You have a hot mouth where you believe that you can have great conversations. So you do have great conversations. Do not underestimate the power of psychology in language learning. And just to to finish off my argument, um, Tomorrow, I'm publishing an interview with Ev Fedorenko, who's an amazing um, scientist. And I have a couple of pieces of her work here that talk in in more detail, that, that give more evidence about this idea that you can have really bad English, and that's a good thing. Okay, So the first one is this paper called Tracking co-listeners' knowledge states during language comprehension. And it's a really simple experiment. What they did was they put a native speaker in a room and they asked them to read sentences that didn't make any sense. For example, the girl had a little beak. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. Girls are humans and, and humans don't have beaks. We're not birds. And so they got them to read these sentences. And while they were reading the sentences, they scanned their brains. 
And then they repeated exactly the same situation, but the person reading was not alone. There was another person in the room with them. So they had to read these strange, nonsensical sentences. They had to read them to another person. And while they were saying the girl had a little beak, again, they scanned their brains. And there was a small but very, very, very important difference between the two brain scans. Now, there's this very specific part of the brain that activates when you are surprised by something in language. And it's an amazing thing for, that, that's been discovered by, these, by these, these researchers that we have this part of the brain that its only purpose seems to be to show linguistic surprise. Right? And when the person in the experiment, when they were sitting alone and reading, it did not light up. This part of the brain was not activated. But as soon as they had to read these weird nonsense sentences to another person, it did light up. What does that tell us? It tells us that when people are communicating, they have deep, deep empathy for the person that's listening. They are feeling surprise on behalf of the other person. They are internally saying, well, I know this sentence doesn't make sense and I feel that for you. And this should be a reminder about a few things. The first thing is that communication is not one directional. You know, communication is a dance between two people or more people. It's, it's a delicate dance that requires speaking and listening and, and taking turns and all of these things that happen to, to produce great communication. And what you need to realize is that in a conversation, when you're speaking with your low level of English, you're not alone. The other person is, is there with you and they are empathizing with you. They know how you're feeling and they, they understand that. And there's one more piece of evidence, again, from, from, um, from the work of Ev, Ev Fedorenko, um, which is don't underestimate the benefits of being misunderstood. And so what they did was they took um, native speakers, or they took a group of native speakers, and they took a group of non-native speakers, and they asked them to say nonsense sentences or sentences with grammatical mistakes. They, they asked them to read these sentences to, um, to native speakers, and then they asked the native speakers to judge or rate the grammatical correctness. So, for example, the native speaker would come into the room and say, the mother gave the candle the daughter. And the person listening would say, whoa, okay, um, I'm going to give that three out of ten. 
bad sentence. And then a non-native speaker would come in with an accent, okay, with a, with a foreign accent and say, the mother gave the candle the daughter. And guess what they discovered? They discovered that if you have a foreign accent, if it's obvious that English is not your first language, they rate the correctness of your sentence higher. And the reason is because when I hear, when a native speaker hears that, that you, you have a foreign accent, that English is not your first language, we accommodate you. I say, okay, I'm not expecting native English. I'm not expecting perfection, whatever that is. And so my brain prepares me to hear mistakes and to hear you know, unusual pronunciations. And so I actually think that your English is better because of that. So these are all massive advantages to having a low level of English and having, uh, <laughs> and having an accent. And I, I think that the thing that I really want you to realize today is that your English doesn't have to be perfect to communicate. Your English doesn't have to contain 20,000 words that you learnt from flashcards to communicate. You don't have to have a, a native accent to communicate. You're, you're ready to communicate right now. And native speakers and whoever else you're going to talk to, their brains are there waiting and ready and empathizing with you. And they just want to hear what you have to say. So please go out there and use your language today. I hope you enjoyed today's Daily Digest. If you would like to support this podcast, you will find links to all of my work, including my Patreon, at kangaroenglish.com. I'm Christian, this is Kangaroo English, and I'll see you in class.